KTAR breaking news alert. And this just in to the KTAR News Center. Phoenix police say a man has been taken into custody in connection with the murder of 29-year-old Lauren Heike. Heike's body was found with signs of trauma around 10.45 a.m. last Saturday near Scottsdale Road and Mayo Boulevard in a desert area. Police believe Heike was likely killed last Friday while out on a walk. Again, Phoenix police say a man has been taken into custody in connection with the murder of 29-year-old Lauren Heike. Police are expected to provide an update tonight on the details. KTAR will bring you the details once we learn them. KTAR-FM, Glendale Phoenix. Arizona's breaking news and traffic. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. There has been an arrest in the North Phoenix hiking trail murder. Our detectives have been working tirelessly around the clock. Since this happened, they've been getting little to no sleep. Good morning. It is 5 o'clock, and this is Arizona's Morning News. I'm Jim Sharp. And I'm Jamie West. After desperate pleas from her family for help solving the case, the man accused of killing Lauren Heike is in custody. The story is just ahead. We'll also get a look at traffic then. If you're a Suns fan, you better put on your lucky shirt. The team will try to keep its championship hopes alive tonight. Just to be back home, having this feeling is great. Now, our top story. Phoenix police have a suspect in custody in the murder of a 29-year-old woman on a desert trail in North Phoenix. KTAR's Jim Cross is live. Yeah, Jamie, the man arrested at his home at Scottsdale and Bill Roads around 6.30 last night. As of this morning, police have not yet released the suspect's name, only that he's in his early 20s. No details on any cause of death or possible connection to the victim, Lauren Heike. Phoenix police spokesperson Melissa Solis says detectives worked around the clock to make this arrest of the same person in the video clip the police released just days ago. They've been following, processing evidence, following up on leads, tips that are being called in, and that has ultimately let, led us here to where we're at today. Now you can see a photo and a video of the arrest at KTAR.com. Live at the News Center, Jim Cross, KTAR News. We feel very strongly that this is Alicia. Missing Glendale teen Alicia Navarro has been found alive nearly four years after disappearing. Navarro, who has autism, was found in a small town in Montana about 40 miles away from the Canadian border. Jose Santiago with the Glendale Police Department says the teen identified herself to police a few days ago. We don't know if she's been with anyone for the length of time that she's been missing. We're still investigating that actively. We can tell you that when she showed up to the police department, she was by herself. Navarro, who's now 18 disappeared from her Glendale home back in 2019 after leaving a note saying she ran away but would be back. The Glendale Police Department says Navarro is working with police in both states and released a short clip of officers speaking to the teen. Did anybody hurt you in any way? No, no one hurt me. Police are currently investigating the circumstances surrounding her disappearance. Navarro and her mother have been reunited. In a Facebook video, her mom, Jessica Nunez, says she only found out about her daughter being found alive one hour before everyone else. I don't have details, but the important thing is that she is alive. And I want to thank the community and God for all that you have done. Nunez added she hopes her daughter's homecoming gives others with missing children hope. Taylor Tesler, KTAR News. Good morning. It is 524, 67 degrees in Avondale. I'm Jamie West. Shazam! D. Booker. 
Wow. It is impossible to sum up 51 years, but we'll give it a try as Al McCoy calls it a career. As far as that, that pretty much wraps things up here. And uh, for one last time, this is Al McCoy saying thanks for being there. Thanks for being with us tonight. And from the Footprint Center here in downtown Phoenix, we'll just say so long for now. It started officially September 27, 1972 with a preseason game and ended last night. I just want to say thank you for 51 wonderful years and allowing me to bring the story of the Suns in the NBA to you. It's been a great ride. But the story of Al McCoy's impact on the Suns is not a matter of days on a calendar with a number of wins and losses. Oh, three-pointer. The entertaining. And you can put this baby in the old icebox. An informative style Al brought to every Suns broadcast served as a way for fans to connect to the team, which was vitally important during Al's first three seasons when the Suns didn't make the playoffs. But in year four. The guy hurt. Here's the jump shot. Good. The Cinderella Suns' march to the 1976 NBA Finals cemented the Suns' place in the hearts of Phoenix sports fans and also deepened the bond between Al and his listeners. A long three. He got it! He got it! He got it! The Suns win! The Suns win! Al's relationship with Phoenix radio listeners actually goes back to 1958 when he was hired to broadcast games of the brand new Phoenix Giants minor league baseball team. And he was doing Phoenix Roadrunners hockey games when Jerry Colangelo called to offer him the job he would hold for the next 51 years. often say in broadcasting that you never truly retire from the business, so is it out of the realm of possibility we'll hear Al McCoy on the airwaves again? It's over. Suns win. But just keep in mind the way Al would sign off his broadcast. From the Footprint Center here in downtown Phoenix, simply saying so long for now. Jeff Mine, KTAR News. You know he got a wham, bam, slam. Love more on last night's last playoff game for the Suns and last game ever for Al McCoy coming up at 5.30. We'll also have expanded coverage of the situation on our southern border with Title 42 ending last night. And the final seconds will tick away, and Denver will come away with a huge victory to eliminate the Suns. In the Western Last night not only marked the end of the Suns season, but the end of a 51-year career for Valley icon Al McCoy. In his final send-off, he shared many thank yous, but one more surprising than others. I want to say something special to a special group of people. Through the years... I've become friends with so many sightless people. KTAR's Taylor Kinnerup joins us live with the story of one fan who has only ever seen the game through Al's eyes. Max Ashton has been a lifelong sports fan, loyal to all Arizona teams. But basketball's fast pace can be tough to follow when you're entirely dependent on those calling the game. His ability to make the game coherent is really amazing. Max is among the, quote, sightless fans McCoy took the time to thank last night, which brought back sweet memories for Max. I was at a Suns game with my dad. It was the first and only time I ever sat on the floor, and he saw me with my earbuds in, listening to the radio, and he saw me walking with my white cane, and he kind of looked over at us and, like, 
caught my dad's eye and waved us over. That day, McCoy took the time to thank Max for his loyal listenership, something that Max never forgot. Al and Dave Pash and all those guys are just as awesome to me as the players were, basically. And so meeting him was, you know, I might as well have been meeting Steve Nash. And without a voice like McCoy's, fans like Max may have never fallen in love with the game. It's just a hard thing for me to fall into because, you know, the TV broadcasters don't need to be saying exactly everything that's going on all the time. Our job is to tell you exactly what's happening. You know, every pass, every foul, you know, everything he does has been awesome to listen to my entire life, basically. Live in the News Center, Taylor Kinnerup, KTAR News. Juan Siscomani is the first naturalized American from Mexico to represent Arizona in Congress. Grew up in Hermosillo, in Sonora, and uh, came here when I was a young boy. He recently sat down with me to talk about his upbringing, being a father, and what he hopes for the Republican Party. From the Sonoran Desert in Hermosillo to the Old Pueblo in Arizona, Siscomani, his sisters, and their parents established their roots in Tucson after immigrating from Mexico. My dad has been that example for me of just hard work, of just getting out there, getting it done, not complaining. His father worked as a bus driver to give his kids a shot at the American dream. And my mom was always that pillar of faith, always reminding us that prayer is powerful, that God has to play a role in our lives. Siscomani worked his way through school and became the first and his family to graduate from college. He credits his parents' work ethic and sacrifices for his own success. Now in Congress, Do you solemnly swear or affirm he's honored to serve his community. That is the best part, the, the pride in that and, and what comes with serving in the United States Congress. One of the hardest things, and not the hardest thing, is, is leaving. Siskamani says it's difficult to be away from his wife Laura and their six kids when he's in Washington, D.C. So now, when he's home in Tucson, he's more intentional about the time he spends with them. Those family values are what draw him to the Republican Party, and he sees Latinos playing a huge role in the GOP's future. The Hispanic community is, you know, predominantly Democrat. That's not a secret. But we're waking up to the fact that uh, it's not about parties at this point. It's really about opportunity. He believes Republicans give Latinos a better chance to advance in their careers, in business, or in, in whatever area of life. And I think that they're finding a, a a good welcoming uh, home here on the Republican Party, at least from what I represent on that party. Grisel, the Satino KTAR News. Valley's only all-news morning show. 523 now, 45 degrees in Ahwatukee. I'm Jamie West. I am a survivor. This is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and KTAR's Colton Krolak shares a story of hope and profiles the people working to put an end to this growing problem. Every experience was a rock bottom for me. That's Alicia Tucker. She was 15 when she was forced into sexual slavery. Thinking about what I just did, thinking about what I had to endure. She's just one of more than 100,000 children trafficked every year in the U.S. Sarah De Carvalho with the anti-human trafficking campaign It's a Penalty describes the growing problem. With 50 million people trapped in modern-day slavery today, human trafficking is the fastest-growing and second-largest illegal industry in the world. That includes Arizona, which is about to host the Super Bowl, and with it, potential increased trafficking activity. The big game is why De Carvalho is here and why her organization is partnering with local industries to educate people about the signs of trafficking. But the problem doesn't end when the Super Bowl does. January Contreras with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services says some populations are especially vulnerable. That could be immigration status, that could be language barriers, it could be poverty. And those things come together to make Latinos a high risk. 
Jeremy Valorant with the global anti-trafficking organization Atlas Free says while people are the problem, they're also the solution. We can dismantle human trafficking across Arizona, across the United States, and around the world. Until then, there will be more stories like Tucker's, but with that come stories of triumph in the face of tragedy. I am a survivor. I am a mother, and I have a voice, and I'm here to stand up against human trafficking. Colton Krolak, KTAR News. KTAR News, without a home. The number of people living on the streets or in shelters rose by more than 70% in the last six years here in the Valley. And that's why today we kick off our special series on this issue. KTAR's Taylor Tesler has the numbers and tells us how we got to this point. Nearly 8,200 people in Maricopa County experienced homelessness this past March, according to the Maricopa Association of Governments quarterly trends report. But Katie Gentry with MAG explains this didn't happen overnight. 2014 was the first year that we started seeing kind of this dramatic increase and that's really when Arizona started to come out of the 2008 recession. MAG found 15% are experiencing being unhoused for the first time and those aren't the only numbers on the rise. We have continued to see an increase specifically in older adults experiencing homelessness. We've continued to see that rise 21% since March of 2022. Gentry attributes this to rising costs of living and a shrinking supply of affordable homes. Over the last five years we've seen rent increased 68%, and that's just not keeping up with how folks are able to live. Lisa Glow, the CEO of Central Arizona Shelter Services, agrees rising costs are one of the biggest contributing factors. This last year, we served 30% more people than we served the year before. And she's seeing that in the shelters. We saw increases in service to our seniors, to our chronically homeless, to our veterans, to our youth. 21% of those served were experiencing homelessness for the first time. 26 6% were 55 and older, and 35% were chronically homeless. We have an unhoused crisis. We don't have enough housing. Both Gentry and Glow believe keeping people in their homes can help. But ultimately, homelessness to this magnitude requires a long-term and collaborative solution. Tether Tassel, KTAR News. Homelessness is not, you know, doesn't care about our city boundaries. It's a regional issue. That's Rachel Milney, director of the City of Phoenix Office of Homeless Solutions, created in October to help tackle homelessness. The number one reason we have a homelessness issue in our region is our affordable housing crisis. Milney says those with substance abuse and mental health issues are more at risk of becoming homeless, and the price tag to address that is not cheap. We have a $9 million contract with Mercy Care to really um, have community-wide contacts and commitments to help people who are unable to get insurance to connect with those types of services. According to Maricopa Association of Governments point-in-time count, the homeless population in Phoenix alone went from 771 in 2014 to the current 3,300-plus. Hundreds on the streets surrounding the Central Arizona Shoulder Services near 7th Avenue and Jefferson in what's come to be known as the zone, and we're coming into the hottest time of the year. We've put up shade structures. We've got cold water out there. There are places on the Human Services campus that will accept people during the day just to come in and get out of the heat. The city continues to deal with a major challenge of getting enough shoulder bed space to meet overwhelming demand. We brought on an additional 592 beds to the system last year. So that's in addition to everything that already existed. 
expected. 800 new ones in the pipeline. And a number of Valley cities, including Phoenix, rehabbing old motels, turning them into shelter space. I'm only confident that Phoenix has the tools needed to tackle the challenge of homelessness. We are making a tremendous effort. We've got a plan. We're going to stick with it. Jim Cross, KTAR News. More than 20% of the total homeless population in Maricopa County is under the age of 24. KTAR's Ballin Overstoltz tells us about a new transitional living facility for youth experiencing homelessness in day three of our week-long Without a Home series. The uniqueness of the program is that they go into the schools and provide the services. A new transitional living facility for unaccompanied youth experiencing homelessness is open in central Phoenix, and we're learning from the helpers and youth on its impact. They say it feels like family here. Also, the mother of a family who recently became homeless says her family has found stability, and a local case manager tells us how these experiences affect kids and teens. Here are their stories. She said just pack your stuff and go. Benjamin Johnson is an 18 year-old cross-country runner. The only long-distance runner with asthma. And despite facing homelessness, Benjamin recently graduated from high school. Earlier this year, his adoptive mother kicked Benjamin and his twin brother, Al, after she learned they had contacted their biological father. We had nowhere to go. My mind was just like discombobulated because I'm like, is this really happening? After staying with another family and spending one night on the streets, Benjamin and his brother got connected with the nonprofit Homeless Youth Connection through their school. The two are now living at HYC's transitional housing facility. Don Bogart with the nonprofit says this is an example of their process at work. We work with all of the different school liaisons and they're the ones that identify the kids and it really is not having a safer stable space at night. The nonprofit's overall goal is to keep at-risk homeless youth near their school to help them graduate. Meaning they can go to the football games and the basketball games and you know participate in band or drama or student council chances of them staying more engaged in high school is dramatically increased. HYC provides them with a stocked kitchen, laundry room, case management, and rides to and from school and practice. That is a lifesaver for students. Most of all, I'm just like really appreciative I have a bed to stay in, you know. Bogart believes this approach sets teens like Benjamin up for success in the long run and helps to keep them out of chronic homelessness. And while these services helped Benjamin make it to graduation, his story is far from over. Man, like Kobe said, job's not finished. So when people ask me about graduation, yeah, I'm excited, but... I got places to be. But there are other youth navigating the stress of homelessness with their families. Typically, we do try to help and assist our families get housed within like their 90 days. That's Ashley Abbott from Valley Nonprofit UMOM. She's the case manager for Dementia Ruelas, who came to UMOM with her five kids and husband. When family felt like letting us stay with them, we would stay with them. And now we would, you know, hotels. That's what I'm saying. Our children were everywhere. She says her biggest concern for her kids was a lack of stability, which could affect their ability to get to school. They had to think about that. Where were they going to lay their head at? You know, we would try not to to stress them or show them, but they're you know at that age to where they know. Abbott from UMOM says for these families, teens have to step up and take on more responsibility. They're teenagers. They're thinking about going out, you know, with their friends or wanting to do stuff outside of shelter. But they also understand still, like, we're in a shelter and we don't want to be here. She explains in other situations, youth aren't just stepping up, but have to act as adults themselves. But other kids struggle under these circumstances. Whoa, like, why, why are you treating your family, your siblings, and your parents like that, you know? And some kids will go into detail, like, 
well, we were treated like this back then. She says as kids connect with services like the Boys and Girls Club they offer and case management, behavior improves. For dementia, being at UMOM gives her family a break from the worries. They see it as their home. Okay, we're going to go to school, but we have somewhere to go. Abbott believes keeping families together improves outcomes for everyone when that is an option. But as we learned from HYC, it's not always on the table. In both cases, however, a stable home and access to education are two big factors that lead to a successful future. Bowen Overstoles, KTAR News. KTAR News. Without a home. The number of veterans experiencing homelessness increased 20% in Maricopa County over the last year, compared to a 7% rise among the total population. For many of these veterans, joining the military is like joining a family. And for those struggling with homelessness, it can be hard to trust anyone outside of it, even to get help. It's a sense of isolation from the rest of the country. Chuck Ashby is the Veterans Outreach Coordinator at Catholic Charities Mana House, an organization that provides transitional housing. But maybe more importantly... He's a vet himself. When he sees me, we speak a particular language. It was all through the psychic change that occurred when we all went through basic training. That's not the only language that helps him relate. I also speak recovery from homelessness, and I speak recovery from drugs. And all of those things hook up and you have a spiritual understanding that occurs. Ashby's been sober for 18 years after the VA helped him get treatment, and now he's helping others find the same success. Some of those vets come home with a lot of things going on. You know, it's a, it's a difficult situation. War is tough. So they come through with PTSD and, you know, bad habits that lead to bad circumstances. George Campbell with the Arizona Housing Coalition helps to host statewide stand-down events where dozens of organizations join to connect vets with resources such as housing support, legal assistance, and treatment programs. Tom Grotto was one of those vets looking for help after getting priced out of his rent. It's a shock. You're in for an eye-opener. All them things you take granted for ain't there. <laughs> they are not there. And Ashby says while the situation seems dire, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Very slowly, the city and the county and other governmental agencies are putting money into it, but they're putting money into organizations that work directly with it. Colton Krulak, KTAR News. There's something about singing in harmony that has always attracted large audiences. Here, 90 plus men put out some of the harmonies that you're talking about is it's just, you have to experience it to believe it. I, I can just tell you that I can guarantee the audience will have their socks knocked off. Chorus Artistic Director Brooke Larson says the annual performance benefits the 100 Club, which assists families of fallen first responders. The music will reflect several genres. The repertoire for this concert is so varied. There's sacred and secular accompanied and a cappella. Uh, you'll hear a couple of American folk songs. You'll hear spirituals. When Larson took over as artistic director 13 years ago, the chorus had only 19 members. Today, as the chorus prepares for a 10-day tour of Prague, Salzburg, and Vienna, it has 95 members. Larson says the increase in participation can be traced to a simple formula. In my opinion, we have a good balance of having fun in rehearsal and still putting out a pretty good music product. If I can get somebody to come to two or three rehearsals, Generally, unless life gets in the way, generally it's a positive experience and they come back for two or three more rehearsals. Tickets for the March 26th performance at the Mesa Arts Center can be purchased at Orpheus.org. Jeff Munn, KTAR News.
Arizona's Morning News, the Valley's only all-news morning show. 723, 60 degrees in Avondale. Good morning. I'm Jamie West. Arizona votes 2024 one year out. Our state's political star is expected to shine brighter than ever during next year's election season. Today, KTAR's Jim Cross kicks off a special series looking ahead at the big races and the big money that comes with them. We flipped Arizona. Hello, Arizona. Hello, Arizona. Arizona has been a political player for years, and next year we could be the state that has the most impact in determining the presidential race and the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. Some of it in the past I've thought has been a little fluffed up, but I now believe we really are everything we say we are in the way of importance nationally. Longtime Valley political expert Stan Barnes, Copper State Consulting, says the race for the U.S. Senate seat will be what really puts Arizona in the national spotlight. Barnes is intrigued by a field that includes Republican Kerry Lake, who narrowly lost the governor's race, current Arizona Congressman Democrat Ruben Gallego, and potentially current U.S. Senator Independent Kirsten Cinema, who hasn't announced if she will seek re-election. I just can't imagine a more perfect political science experiment than these three running, each a big personality. And Mike Noble, Chief of Research with Noble Predictive Insights, says it's a great time to be alive for Arizona politics with the state at its political apex, not only for the direction of the state, but also the direction of the country. But if you don't like politics, you probably want to bury your head in the ground for the next year or so. Ad Impact projecting more than $800 million in broadcast political ad spending for Arizona in the 2023-24 election cycle, second behind only California. That's a 64% jump from the dollars spent on the 2022 races in Arizona. Just even five, six years ago, I mean, you saw very little money, if at all, but we've seen a steady increase in the last five years with that suburban shift, population growth, etc. And so with that, you know, it's just Arizona is unequivocally a battleground. Jim Cross, KTAR News. Find more expanded coverage of our exclusive series, as well as an in-depth video of the story at KTAR.com and on the KTAR News app. KTAR FM, Glendale Fields. Arizona's breaking news and traffic. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Good morning. It is 7 o'clock. This is Arizona's Morning News. I'm Jim Sharp. And I'm Jamie West. Good morning. So what is Phoenix doing about the growing homeless population? We are making a tremendous effort. We've got we've got a plan. We're going to stick with it. Our in-depth look at homelessness in the Valley continues this morning. And today is a big day in Miami where police are getting ready for former President Donald Trump's appearance in federal court. We encourage people to be peaceful in in them demonstrating uh, how, they're, how they feel. That is our top story. As many as 50,000 people could gather in downtown Miami, where the former president will be arraigned on numerous charges, many stemming from his alleged refusal to hand over hundreds of classified documents. KTAR's Jim Cross is live with a preview. Yeah, Jamie, still about five hours away from this hearing, uh, showing a lot of law enforcement around the courthouse in Miami, but not a lot of people yet. Uh, the former president expected to enter a plea of not guilty. He will be processed. Uh, no time will he be in handcuffs, is the word from ABC, but he will be technically in FBI custody. Miami Police Chief Manny Morales. Make no mistake about it, we're taking this, uh, this event extremely serious. We know that there is a potential of things uh, taking a turn for the worst, but that's not the Miami way. Now, Miami does not plan to separate Trump supporters and protesters outside of the courthouse, but they will set up the so-called free speech zones. Live in the News Center, Jim Cross, KTAR News. 701. Here's Detour Dan Beach again. Uh, every six minutes, as a matter of fact, he comes our way from the Valley Chevy Dealers Traffic Center.
Yeah, and I've been doing my best to try to cram in all the bad stuff that's happening. Rollover crash, Tempe, westbound, 202, Redmount Freeway, multiple lanes right, blocked, one, two. terrible crash. Okay, uh, there's two. been a couple of wrecks in the backup as well, and now the traffic jam. It's all the way back from Alma School, and it's the domino effect. Now the other freeways are falling into it. The northbound 101 price, it's solid from baseline up to the 202 Redmount Freeway because of the wreck. And the westbound 10's got a wreck of its own, westbound at 40th Street off right, and the ramp to the 143 is slowing you down to begin with. It's solid slowing. Elliott to 40th Street. The I-10 coming in West Valley at the moment, an extra five, six minutes from Litchfield Road all the way into 7th Street, and it looks like up in the North Valley, the 101 eastbound, a couple extra minutes and cover at 19th Avenue to the 51. This traffic report brought to you by Ability360. Ability360 offers programs to empower people with all disabilities to achieve independent lifestyles in the community. To learn more, go to ability 360 Org. Dan, News. Sunny skies and light winds allow ozone pollution to build unhealthy levels for sensitive groups today. There's an ozone high pollution advisory in effect. The high reaches 97 with a low of 74 tonight. Highs reach the hundreds tomorrow. I'm ABC 15 meteorologist Iris Hermosillo. At 703, it is 74 degrees in Goodyear. KTAR News. Without a home. The Valley's homeless population has grown so much, the city of Phoenix created an Office of Homeless Solutions. Rachel Milney is director and says Phoenix is working hand in hand with other Valley cities. Homelessness is not, you know, doesn't care about our city boundaries. It's a regional issue, so we have to work together. This is the focus of our second part of our special series on homelessness in the Valley. You can hear Jim Cross's in-depth story coming up at 723. That is just 20 minutes from right now. New funding for the city of Tempe will help address the growing problem of homelessness. The city received nearly $1 million in grants from the Arizona Department of Housing to address homelessness in the area. Tempe Mayor Corey Woods says the city plans to use the funding in a number of areas. Expanding our team for our homeless outreach group, which is called our HOPE team at the city of Tempe. They're the group of trained professionals that goes out and works with our unhoused population and tries to find ways to connect them to both shelter and services. Along with repairing rooms at one of the city's facilities to create more transitional housing. Taylor Tassler, KTAR News. Four out of 10 veterans who are experiencing homelessness were in the same situation last year, according to the Department of Veteran Affairs. Jonathan McLean is a combat veteran who found himself in the same boat, so he started a veteran rescue mission. He tells the Mike Broomhead Show the help he received gave him purpose. It's been such a blessing to be able to do and, and be able to take my own testimony and be able to help others who need help. He and his organization go out into the streets to help veterans find services and shelter. McLean spends up to a month every year living on the streets himself doing outreach. Now, for those experiencing homelessness, having a pet provides support and unconditional love, but it can also be a barrier to getting housing. Lost Our Home Pet Rescue provides temporary care to pets belonging to the homeless for 120 days. Executive Director Jody Polanski tells Arizona's Evening News having a pet can also motivate someone to want to help themselves. And there was a veteran that was on the street for over 20 years and he got his first dog and when he got his first dog, he decided to go try to get into housing because he didn't want his dog on the street. Polanski adds, Lost Our Home will even cover medical expenses to spay or neuter and vaccinate the pets they foster. Heidi Hommel, KTAR News. We really feel the future is Phoenix. Phoenix Mayor Kate Gallego at the Real Estate Summit Across Borders. Leaders from both Arizona and Mexico attended. And Gallego told the group our state has seen incredible growth. We're working to address the challenges that come along with that growth. One of my 
top priorities is creating more affordable housing, and we're working diligently for solutions across multiple sectors. She says a variety of innovative solutions from shipping container homes to the repurposing of old malls are being explored in Phoenix. KTAR News Time 706. A KTAR News special presentation without a home roundtable with Jamie West and Javier Soto. Welcome back and thanks for listening as we search for solutions to what's being called a homeless crisis in the Valley and across Arizona and joining us right now. Oh, by the way, uh, seated next to me is ABC 15 anchor Javier Soto. Thank you so much for coming in and, and being a part of this. Thanks for having me. Good afternoon to everyone. We have with us uh, Rachel Milne, the director of the City of Phoenix Office of Homeless Solutions, and Cleo Lewis of Cleo and Lewis Ministries, a former police officer who found himself homeless and is now helping people on the streets this morning. And and Cleo, you were sharing your, your story about um, how you became addicted to drugs, ended up in prison, actually. And then once you had that record, had a very difficult time uh, finding shelter uh, and a job. And um, it, w- it was very tough for you. Now, what helped you the most when it came to getting off of the streets? Was there a specific service that was provided or that you wish you had had? Well, I had the benefit of probably even in the worst situation, I describe myself as probably one of the worst people that ever needed resources. And I had probably the greatest need to get help. And what it is is something has to kick in from the inside uh, that says, you know, now is the time and I have to go for what I had at the time that I needed. Uh, I was at CAS for a year. Now, from the changes, they can do the same thing in less than two to three months. Uh, with what the city of Phoenix can do with their Office of Homeless Solutions, they can do the same thing sometimes that day. And you are sitting next to the director of that office right now. Rachel, tell me a little bit. Now, you came from the Maricopa County um, office. Of, it was at Homeless Solutions or? I was actually with the Maricopa County Human Services Department. I was over their community and uh, uh, housing and community Deve- development division. Over there. So you've been dealing with this situation for a long time. Yes, I was six years there and now one year at the city of Phoenix. And, and what are you seeing as your biggest challenges was with trying to help people out of their situations? So I think from, from our perspective, uh, the biggest challenge right now is there are just so, so many people. Um, the thing we're focused on uh, primarily at the city is unsheltered homelessness, certainly. We know we need to spend some time on prevention services, and we know we need to spend some time on affordable housing solutions, uh, which our housing department is on top of. But right now, we're really focused on people that are in that crisis situation, people that need emergency shelter and need an indoor place to be. So that's one of our biggest challenges is, is creating more indoor places to be, especially uh, going back to your question earlier, Javier, um, as we work to really help people outside the Human Services Campus in that very large encampment. So I think the big question right now, uh, Rachel, for the city of Phoenix is as you approach that deadline of July 10th, uh, you've done two cleanups already. Uh, I'm counting 
70-something people who you've already helped. We spoke with the Human Services Campus the day before you started that cleanup. They counted upwards of 800 people who were unsheltered in the zone. Can you meet that deadline? And the second question that I hear often is, can you house away this problem? If you move these people into shelters, hotels, motels, wherever you move them to, does that solve this issue that appears to be multifaceted? Sure. So, so to answer your first question, um, at the July 10th date, I believe that the wording is we have to have show material compliance with that order by that time. And, and I'll just say, yes, we've done two engagement efforts where we've closed down blocks to camping um, that have been wildly successful uh, with an 80 percent acceptance rate of, of when we are offering services such as shelter or treatment services. Um, that's that's a huge acceptance rate. So we're very pleased about that. But, but we have been doing this work for quite some time. Uh, we started these enhanced engagement efforts actually back in December. So we did five of them uh, prior to the two where we closed down blocks, and we saw equally as as successful efforts there. So, so we are we are making material compliance. We are working our way. We we do have to take our time and be really coordinated with other um, groups like Clio's groups, with other nonprofit organizations, with our shelters to make sure that we are able to offer people in the areas that we're focusing. We're make sure that we're offering appropriate services. And so to answer your second question, um, can we house away this, um, the, this problem? We have to get people indoors as a very first step. And then from there, we have to trust our, our partners and our, our nonprofits in this community, our faith community, to help people uh, move on to the next step, which is ultimately their own housing. We have to do that. And th this has to be a first step as people move into their own housing solutions. Rachel, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you being here with us today. I know how busy you are, especially with what we're dealing with, what we're talking about today with this roundtable. Uh, Rachel Mildy, the director of the City of Phoenix Office of Homeless Solutions with us. Um, also, Cleo Lewis from Cleo Lewis Ministries, who's helping people get off of the streets. We're going to hear more from him as well as uh, we have Mesa Mayor John Giles coming in with us after and the break. So keep it here on KTAR. You're listening to Without a Home, a KTAR special roundtable discussion on homelessness in the Valley. We'll be right back. Friday, June 30th marks the 10th anniversary of the loss of 19 Granite Mountain hotshot firefighters from the Prescott Fire Department at the Yarnell Hill Fire in the tiny community of Yarnell, about 90 miles northwest of Phoenix. Yarnell's neighboring community is Peoples Valley, where Fire District Captain Luthiakis calls home. His grandson, Garrett Zupiger, was a member of the Granite Mountain Hotshots. These were wonderful young men, all of them, not just my grandson, but, you know, he they were all cut from the same cloth. I know he was really proud, uh, and it meant a lot for him to be part of that group. He last saw his grandson on Easter Sunday. came with his girlfriend to have Easter dinner with my wife and I. And I had a load of rock in the back of my pickup truck that I had I intended to put into a ditch for drainage. About a ton of rock, and he asked me about it. And I said, well, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. Just relax, have a beer. And today's not the day to do that. And uh, he, while I was cooking, he disappeared for about 10 minutes to 15 minutes and came back in and said, I unloaded that rock, Grandpa. And I said, I asked you not to do it. Why'd you do that? He said, well, I figured I just couldn't bear the thought of me taking 15 minutes would, would take you two hours. 
I was I felt old, but I was also felt grateful. And it was a few weeks later, Theakis and his wife were on the road when they got a phone call from Garrett. He said he was on the fire in uh, Yarnell, and I asked him to save me some of the fires because I'd be back in a couple of days, and hopefully we could fight the fire together. Because I'm on the fire department here in town, so you know he wanted to be the best he could be at whatever he did. Like I said, these were exceptional young men. And now, 10 years after Theakis lost his grandson and the 18 other hotshot crew members, the only positive he carries away from this tragedy is that it brought that area closer together. We're, you know, we've become, like I said, a closer community because of this. That's a, that's a powerful thing. Jim Cross, KTAR News.